Our scripture today is coming from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Ryan, too, and Gary. Welcome, everybody, to our online service. Just for the benefit of those of you who can't see, we are indebted uh, for these services to a few people who have made them possible, particularly Pastor Ryan and then also Mike Vernon. Joe Arndt, as well, has been doing the uh, visuals for us. Gary has been playing uh, percussion for us, and then Paul Roberts, you saw already. So if you get a chance, thank these men for the work that they've done to make these online services possible. I trust that God has used them, too, in your heart as we've studied the book of Romans and maybe given you some perspective on what's going on right now in our world. Uh, yes, we're dealing with a pandemic. Yes, we're dealing with something that uh, makes us fearful. But at the same time, we have these great truths, these great promises from the book of Romans, and I trust that they are encouraging your heart right now. Let's do this wherever you are right now. If you're listening in at home, take your Bible with me and let's turn together to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, the passage that uh, Paul just read for us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. As you're turning there, I want to uh, just share with you something that I've been reading this last week. I've had some time to read this last week, and I've been reading about one of my heroes, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 19th century. And I've been marveling as I've read this book how many near instances of death D.L. Moody had and how much danger he actually went through as maybe just as a 19th century person. I don't know. Maybe, maybe everybody kind of dealt with this at this time. But uh, D.L. Moody had some scenarios in his life that were th life-threatening. He lived through the Civil War, and he served as an army chaplain. He lived through the Chicago Fire, which was harrowing. <laughs> there was a lot there to be uh, fearful about. He lived through a cholera outbreak in Chicago, which in many ways is comparable to what we're dealing with now with our pandemic and COVID-19, except the cholera epidemics, they actually uh, preyed upon more children than what we're seeing right now with the coronavirus. And D.L. Moody lived through that. He ministered through that. Also, Moody survived a sinking ship on one of his voyages back from England. Nearly 700 people died on this ship that was half sunk, and he was rescued that was a terrifying ordeal for him and for everybody else that was a part of that. And Moody said during all of this, he actually said once during the Civil War, that he came under fire, yet he was without fear, even as he was coming under fire. 
During that great cholera epidemic, he went around with doctors visiting the sick and the dying, and he, he had no concern for his life. Moody said, I remember a case of smallpox where the flesh had literally dropped away from the backbone. Yet I went to the bedside of that poor sufferer again and again with Bible and prayer for Jesus' sake. In all of this, he said, I had no fear of death. Moody said about that, that sinking ship, he said, I knew that if I had died there, it would be only, I would only wake up in heaven. I knew if I had died there, it would be only to wake up in heaven. That was settled long ago, says Moody, when I got saved. And you might wonder about that, even reading that, you know, isn't that a little, I don't know, overconfident of him? Isn't that a little arrogant of him to say that? There's this great picture of Moody in the book I'm reading where he's, Actually, as the, the ship is sinking, this is a rendering of the ship sinking, and he's leading a prayer service as the ship is sinking. It's just like D.L. Moody. And he would say, you know, if I had died there, it would only be to wake up in heaven. How could he be so confident of life after death? Really now? I mean, isn't that arrogant of him? How could he really know that his eternity was secure? And maybe you're thinking right now, maybe you're watching this video, you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Tony, can I have that assurance of salvation? Can I feel that security, like what what he talks about? That's the big question that I want to answer from Romans 5 today. That's the thing that I want to wrestle to the ground in Romans 5. Can I have assurance of salvation? Can I have eternal security as a believer? I want you to hear me say that. I'm going to say it at the outset. Yes, you can. Yes, you can have this assurance. Yes, you can have this confidence that if you died from the coronavirus or some other means, you can enter into the presence of the Lord forever. You will go to be with the Lord forever. You can have that assurance of salvation. What I'm calling today, here's the title of the message, Eternal Security. You can have that. I want you to have that. Paul wants you to have that. And that's why he wrote this in Romans chapter 5. So here we go. Church, Harvest Decatur, everybody else listening in with us this morning. Let me give you four truths from Romans 5, 6 through 11. Four truths about your assurance of salvation. Write them down. Write them down. Here's number one. The first thing that Paul tells us in this passage is that sin separated us from God. To that, you might say, Pastor Tony, that that doesn't make me feel assured of my salvation. That that makes me eternally insecure, not secure. Well, you got to start here. And and I'm I'm okay with you feeling insecure right now. You got to feel this insecurity before we can get to the security. You got to get the bad news before you can get to the good news. I've talked about this before. You got to know that there is a separation between you and the Lord. You are a sinner. The Lord is holy. You were unholy. God is holy. And that, that separation exists. It's real. I'm gonna, i got to be real about that. You know, people will say in our day, you know, I got, I got saved at such and such age. Or I got saved on such and such date. And you just wonder, like, saved from what? What, what do they mean by that? 
You got to know you need to be saved. You got to know what you're being saved from. You got to know your need for a savior. And that's where Paul starts. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak. Now here's the question that we've got to answer here in verse 6. Who are the we in that verse? While we were still weak. Who are the we? Who are the weak? Who are the ungodly? Well, here's my answer for you. We are the we. We are the we, including Paul, including Paul's original audience in Rome. We are the weak. I say, no, 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 Pastor Tony. We, ungodly, really? I mean, I'm, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm, I'm better than most people. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm ungodly, you know, like other people are ungodly. Yes, but you are. You are ungodly. In fact, it's, it's worse than that. This Greek word here is the word asebes, asebes, and it means ungodly or wicked. And it's actually the opposite of another Greek word, eusebes. It's, it's not eusebes. You are not eusebes. You are not good, righteous, pious. You are asebes. Asebes. You are you are wicked. You are ungodly. You are impious. All of us are. And that makes you weak. That makes you weak. Paul says you're weak in verse 6 because you can't save yourself. You can't get to a place. You're not strong enough to save yourself. And by the way, let me just say this. You want to be weak. I'll tell you why in just a second. This is a good place to be, ungodly. Here's why. And if you're unsure about that, you're thinking, come on, Pastor Tony, really? Are we all ungodly? Well, just as a reminder, Paul writes in Romans 1 through 3 this long diatribe about how we are indeed sinners before a holy God. We are wholly sinful before a righteous God. We are wholly unholy before a righteous God. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the great climax of that. It's like a, it's like a cosmic game of ring around the rosy ashes ashes we all fall down we all fall short of the glory of god now here's the good news here's the good news it's not all bad news and you got to get to you got to get the bad news before you can get to the good news and here it is in our weakness while we were ungodly look at verse six again in your bibles christ died for us those same we that were weak we are the us too Christ died for us. You might say, no, 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 Pastor Tony, I'm not ungodly. I'm not too bad. Well, that's too bad for you because Christ only died for the ungodly here. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. This is a great quote. He says, Jesus died for the ungodly because he couldn't find anybody else to die for. Because there was nobody else. We were all ungodly. So praise God. Yes, we are the weak. We are the ungodly. But Christ died for us. In our weakness, Christ died for us. You are not being saved by your godliness. You are not saved by your good works or any other thing. You are saved by the God who died for you. About 15 years ago, I went to a a mosque in the Chicago area. This was part of a, uh, a world religions class I took at Moody and uh, we went to this mosque, and we interacted a bit with some of the Muslims there. And the imam who was there did this lecture with us, and he told us that in his religion, in the Muslim faith, you actually have to do good deeds in order to 
uh, meet the salvation requirements that Allah has for you. And even if you're proclaiming, if, if you're a confessing Muslim, even if you say you're a Muslim, even if you're devout, you still don't have what, what we're calling here assurance of salvation. You still don't know if you did enough good deeds to make up for your bad deeds. And, and I just got to say that that's an incredibly insecure way to live your life. You're constantly trying to find, your, find enough good deeds to counteract your bad deeds. And actually, this has created a bit of a crisis with all this COVID-19 stuff because some Muslims are still attending mosque services in other parts of the world. Some Muslims are still making the trek to Mecca and Medina. This is a part of their religious action. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense that they're still doing that because they have to do those good works to earn favor with God. Let me say it this way. They have to risk their lives in order to maintain their salvation right now. They have to risk their lives. It's the exact opposite of what I said earlier with D.L. Moody. He was willing to risk his life because he was already secure in his salvation. That's totally different. He was secure. Muslims in our day are not secure. And so they have to risk their lives in order to retain salvation. I'll tell you the truth. For those of you, Harvest Decatur, you're not with us today. Can I just be honest with you? I don't like this. I don't like preaching to a camera. I want to see your faces at church. I get depressed, actually, coming here on Sunday and going upstairs, and there's, there's nobody here. I, I miss that time when we, you know, come downstairs and we eat snacks together and we drink coffee and the kids are running around and the kids go to their classes. I love, love, love that, and I miss it right now. I miss it. But I tell you what, I'm so glad that your salvation doesn't rest on whether or not you're here on Sunday morning or not. I'm so, I love taking communion. I talked about this already. I'm so glad that we don't have to keep taking communion in order to stay saved. You know, some of you right now, Easter Sunday is next Sunday, and we had planned to have a baptism service. You guys know me. I love baptism. I love it. What a great testimony of what God has done for us in the lives of specific people as they're baptized. And there might be some of you watching right now, you're ready for baptism, you're ready to go. But we're not going to be ready to baptize you by next Sunday. Does your salvation hinge on that? Do we need to, you know, put something together real quick right now, make sure you get saved? No, we can wait. There'll be a time for that. There'll be a time for that soon. I mean, if your salvation did rest upon it, we'd, I don't know, we'd have to go get one of those dunk tames i guess and i'd throw a baseball at it and dunk you i guess we could do that if we needed to actually was sent a picture this last week from uh from brian and Susie holt i love this social distancing baptistry here it is right now do we need to do that i mean no it'd be fun but we can wait we can wait write this down as number two in your notes so the, the bad news is that sin separated us from God. Here's the good news. The good news is that love bridged the chasm between us. Sin separated us from God. Love bridged that chasm between us and God. Paul says in verse 7, he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Now, maybe if you were good, somebody would die for you. Maybe you would be willing to die for your children. I'm sure you would. And you can even imagine a heroic person, you know, somebody like a, a, a firefighter or a police officer who risks their life to save somebody else. People even in our day right now who are risking their lives in order to treat people or to care for people. I mean, that's totally conceivable. But what's not conceivable is someone giving up their life to save a wicked person. What's not conceivable, even tolerable for us, is someone righteous dying on behalf of somebody who's unrighteous, on behalf of somebody who's wicked. What's not even imaginable for us, this is the gospel, is that this this holy, righteous person, without sin, God incarnate, the creator of the universe, would die for holy, unholy sinners like you and me. That, that is a marvel. That's too much. Why would someone ever do that? Why would God ever allow that? You know, another thing we do at church, I miss this too, but we'll get a chance to do this soon, is, is baby dedications. I've dedicated some of the babies that are out there right now in your homes as you're watching. And, you know, that's a fun time. I've never turned to a parent as I'm dedicating a child and said, would you be willing to let this child die for another person? I've never asked you that. And just think about it. What would be your answer to that? You'd probably say, mm, no, Pastor Tony, we're not doing that. What if I said, okay, well, what if it's for a really noble cause? What if, what if it was for another person who was really strategic in our world, somebody really important like, like Winston Churchill or Martin Luther King? Would you let your baby die for somebody like that? Maybe. Probably most of you still say, no, no, we're not doing that. Maybe there's somebody out there who would do that for a good person. Okay, well, let's raise the stakes a little bit. What if it was an enemy of yours? Would you let your child die on behalf of your enemy? Would you let your baby die on behalf of your enemy, your son, your daughter? Of course you wouldn't. And yet here we have this. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sinners. Paul calls us enemies in verse 10. Not just sinners, but enemies. We are enemies of God, and God sent his son to die for us. I want you to grapple with this. I want you to feel just how amazing this is. This, this quote helped me this last week. Think this through. Pastor J.D. Greer, he said this. He said, God laying down his life for me is not like me laying down my life for my children. Okay, that's how we might think of it. God laying his life down, his life for me, God laying down his life for me is like me laying down my life to save a terrorist who had murdered my children. That's what it's like. Why would God do that? Why would God let his only son die to save his enemies, to save sinners like us? Some of you might be wondering that right now. Just tell you if, you, if you don't understand this, if you don't get this, you don't get the gospel. Here's why God do, did that. Why would God do that, Pastor Tony? Tell me why God would let his son die for me. Why would he do that? Here's why. Here's why. Because God loves us. Because God loved us, even as his enemies. Enemies though we are, God loved us enough to let his son die for us. That's it. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his 
love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is so memorizable, church. If you don't have that passage memorized, memorize it. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And one of the reasons that you need to have this passage memorized is that you need to understand the love of God. This is such a precious thing. And it's unfortunate in our day that this word love gets used to describe so many things that aren't even close to this beautiful picture, this wonderful presentation of the biblical love that God has for us. In in our day, love, you guys know how it is, love is used by our world to describe, you know, an anything-goes kind of sentimentality. That's how we like to define love in our world. In our day, we're so accustomed to thinking about love in selfish terms and worldly terms. We actually have to overhaul our whole thinking of that term. Just as an example of this, the New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg, he says it this way. He says, the need for genuine Christ-like love remains as great today as ever. Yeah, one of our greatest problems is defining love. Popular culture and literature, music, advertising, and the visual arts uses the word love to mean just about everything except what the Bible means by it. And then Blomberg says this. He says, so even Christians are easily misled into thinking love is primarily a feeling, something you fall in or out of. We equate it with lust or with sexual intercourse, speaking of one's lover or of making love. But throughout Scripture, love is first of all an action, an unconditional commitment, a promise that is never broken. The Greek word that Paul uses here in Romans 5, 8, y'all know this word. That's the word agape. But God shows his agape for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death made a way for us to be reconciled to God. God's love, his agape, made a way for the the chasm between us, the chasm between us and God to be bridged. You might say, well, what does that mean, Pastor Tony? What is that second point talking about? The bridging, this, this chasm bridged. All right, well, let me show you what that means with a little diagram here. Y'all have seen this before. Maybe it's time to refresh this, okay? This is you right over here. This is me right over here. We are that stick figure. And here's the bad news. We're separated from God. Talked about this already, right? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is all because of Genesis 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, we had had fellowship with God. Adam and Eve, they, they walked with God in the cool of the day. Everything was great. But that sin broke that fellowship and separated us from the God. Who created us? And you might say, well, what are we going to do about this? We need a plan. We need a solution for this. Let's do some good works. Let's, let's read our Bible. Let's go to church. Let's get baptized. Let's take communion. Let's try to see if our good deeds can outweigh our bad deeds. Okay, well, how far is that going to get us? That's going to get us not very far. That's not going to bridge that chasm. This is an untransversable gulf between us and the Lord. We cannot get there on our own. That's the point. That's the point of Romans. That's what Paul has been arguing here. And and even Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 20, he said that 
Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. For most of us, we're like, we'll, we'll never get there. You might say, I, I think I can make that, Pastor Tony. Well, Matthew 5.41 says, you need to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that going? Anybody want to claim that? I don't. We need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We're all going to fall short. This, you know, <laughs> I forgot this title. This is the really bad news, okay? And so there's bad news, and then there's really bad news. And, and until you get this, you can't get the good news. Now, here's, here's the good news. Here's how this gulf is traversed. Here's how this chasm is bridged. It's not by works. It's by sola fide, sola gratia and solus Christus. It's by Christ alone, by faith alone, and by grace alone. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we do that. That's how we, have re- that's how we restore re- reconciliation. That's how we restore relationship with God. This is what we call reconciliation. I'll get to that a little bit more later. It's such a, such a beautiful word. This is how that happens. You might say, Pastor Tony, I, I know that already. You, you've, you've used that diagram before. I got that down. I, I know that in my sleep. All right, good. Have you shared this with somebody lately? Have you now? Are you, are you vocalizing this thing that you hold to? I mean, you could, you could do this diagram on a napkin at the restaurant. You don't even need this. This isn't even that fancy. Is a PowerPoint diagram. Have you shared this with somebody? Do you want to share it with somebody? Is this important to you? Is it important enough to you that you want to let other people know about it? Here's a quick confession for you from your pastor. Can I just get something off my chest here? Maybe I I feel more empowered to confess because you're not actually in the room with me. So I'm just confessing to a camera. It's it's only going on the Internet, which will, you know, last forever. Um. So here, here's my confession. Okay, Sonia, Alistair, and I, we've been doing something ever since the pandemic thing started, and we've been, uh, you know, locked inside of our house. Um, we've been binge-watching the Marvel movies, the Marvel comic book movies. And I just feel like I need to tell you that. Phew, feel better just confessing that, getting that out. Now you know, okay? So, and... Can I say this too? We like them. They're fun. I know they're silly, but they're fun. And there's little things that we can kind of learn. And, you know, each of us, Sonia Alistair and I, we all have our favorite Marvel hero. Can you guess which one my, which one is my favorite? Do you know? My, my family from uh, Croatia will, will not be surprised at this. My favorite Marvel hero is Captain America, of course. Captain America, he's got integrity. He's likable. He's, he's my favorite, okay? All right, here's where I'm going with this. Here's my observation about the Marvel movies after watching all of them, okay? Most of them. Um, and, b- and by the way, d- don't send me emails if you're like a Marvel comic book person. I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this. This is, this is just an observation, okay? As somebody who's watched the movies. I sense as I watch this movie, these movies, that there's this hunger in the human heart 
for something heroic. I mean, what's happening in all those movies? As I've watched them, there's this thing that happens. There's this, there's this moment in each of them where the, where the hero it does some self-sacrificial act. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die so that other people can live. And there's something in the human heart. I mean, we've spent billions of dollars watching these movies, right, as Americans? There's something in the human heart that wants that, that admires that, that loves that. My wife loves this gif, this, uh, what is it called, a meme on the Internet. I want to share it with you. Okay, I, this is good. Here are all the Marvel heroes. They're gathered around Jesus. And Jesus sets, says to them while they listen, captivated. And that's how I saved the world. <laughs> that's good. That's really good. We long for that. Our human heart wants that. The marvelous thing, pardon my pun, about what Jesus has done is that while we were his enemies, he saved us. He saved us. Write this down as number three. Here's a third reason that we can have assurance of salvation. Also, Jesus' blood will save us from God's wrath. Jesus' blood will save us from God's wrath. And I'm using, I'm using the future tense here very intentionally. So we'll save. I'm trying to be as close as I can to what Paul is writing here in verse 9. Follow along with me in your Bible. Since therefore we have now been justified. Past tense. We got that done. Jesus died for us. We believed and now we're justified. Past tense. Therefore, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, future tense, by him from the wrath of God. This is what's called here uh, a call viomer argument. It's a, from the lesser to the greater kind of argument. In Latin, it's referred to as a, an a fortiori argument. If this smaller thing is true, then this greater thing will be true. And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's, that's kind of how Paul is describing this. He's saying, if you have been justified, how much more will God do this great thing in your life at a later time? Jesus uses this kind of argument from time to time. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Paul's saying here, if, if you've been justified by God's blood, by Jesus' blood, if that's taken place, if you have faith in that, how can you not be confident that this greater thing will happen, that God will save you from the future wrath to come? In other words, if Jesus died for you on the cross, why wouldn't he save you from the wrath to come? Of course Jesus is going to do that. Of course we can have assurance of salvation, knowing that he's coming back for us, that we're going to live with him forever. Jesus saved us already. Of course, he's going to save us at the end of days when God's wrath is poured out on unbelievers. This word that's used here for salvation or the, the statement shall be saved. We shall be saved. Future tense. This, this is actually the Greek word sozo. And I, I know this might strike you as odd because we, you know, we talk about being saved. When did you get saved? I got saved at this date. I got saved in the past. I got saved when I was age six. You guys have heard me say this before. But actually, in the biblical language, this word sozo, this description of salvation, 
it, it actually describes three different ways in which we are saved. We are saved, past tense, justified. We are being saved, present tense, sanctified. And we will be saved, future tense. That's when we will be glorified with our new resurrection bodies. So we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Everybody got that? Here's how Jen Wilkin describes this. She says, be assured, just just as a way to encourage people. She says, be assured of your justification. It was, past tense. One day you were freed fully from the penalty of sin. Then she says, be patient with your sanctification. It is, present tense. Each day you're being freed increasingly from the power of sin. Praise God for that. And then she says, be eager for your glorification. It is to come, future tense. One day you will be freed finally from the presence of sin. So the question is, what's Paul talking about in verse 9? Which of those three is he talking about? Justification, sanctification, glorification. Well, he's talking first at the first part of verse 9 about our justification. We've been justified, and then he transitions to our glorification. And it's on the basis of our justification that we will be glorified. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done that he will, when he returns, glorify us. We will be glorified in him. We will receive our new glorified body. Some people don't like that language. You can use the word consummation instead if you want to. There will be a consummation of our salvation when Jesus returns. And by the way, who purchased that for us? How did that happen? How do we have that assurance? We have that assurance by Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood paid for our justification. It paid for our glorification. Since, therefore, we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. You remember the, the blood imagery in the Old Testament, don't you? They would take the the sheep or the animal to the priest and the the priest would slit the throat of the animal, bleed it out, take some of the blood, sprinkle it on the altar, take some of the blood of the animal, sprinkle it on the Israelite. This This was a picture of atonement. And yet in our day, we don't have the animal sacrifices because we have a true and better sacrifice, Jesus Christ. His blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats of the Old Testament. Not only do we have better blood, we got a better high priest, says the book of Hebrews. The great high priest, whose name is love, as the old hymn goes. Y'all remember that hymn? The hymn writer Charity Bancroft, she put it this way. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Let's talk about eternal security. She gets this. Here's what she writes. She says, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. She gets it. She understands this wrath of God, that Jesus Christ has been, God's wrath has been satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ. She gets it. To look on him, to look on Christ, 
and pardon me. That's how we have assurance of salvation, because of what Christ has done for us. And then one final reason. Write this down, number four. Also, Jesus' resurrection will reconcile us to God for eternity. Notice I'm using the future tense again with this fourth point, trying to render this as best I can, as close to what Paul writes in these last two verses. Paul says, For if while we were enemies, there's that language. I wasn't making that up. Paul says it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's that future use of the word saved again, sozo. We shall be saved because we've been justified. We can be confident we're going to be glorified. We were saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. And part of this glorification, here's a great word. Here's a great word. It's the word reconciliation. Part of that has already taken place. We've been reconciled to our creator because of what Christ has done for us. But but there's, there's an already not yet to that. There will come a day in our new resurrection bodies where we will be reconciled in fellowship with the Lord. We will walk with Him in the cool of the day just like Adam and Eve did. And it will be even better than that. See Revelation 20 through 22 for more on that. The new heaven and the new earth and what we'll experience in the Lord for, with the Lord forever. And, you know, here's why this reconciliation term is so good. I've already given you this term justification you think about justification, that's a legal term. You know, we, we are declared righteous. We, you know, the court has declared, you're righteous because of what Christ has done for you. But reconciliation is deeper than that, or it's maybe, you might say, a different aspect of that. We're not just justified. We're not just declared righteous in the courts of the Lord. Our relationship with God is restored. We're reconciled. I mean, I, I could go to the court. I could take you to court and and make you be my neighbor, make you be a good neighbor to me if we're not good neighbors, but I, I can't force you to have a good relationship with me. This is more than just a declaration. This is more than just we are justified. This is more than God says, okay, well, I guess I'll justify you because my son did this for you, but I don't really like you that much. God has loved you enough to allow Jesus' payment for your sin to, to justify you to declare you righteous before the Lord, but also to restore a relationship. You can have a relationship with Him. Actually, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and indwells you, and that's part of that relationship that you have with the Lord. God opens His arms and brings us into His arms again. Notice that already began at justification. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, there's that call Viomer argument again, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? How are we saved by Christ's life? His resurrection is the first fruit of our own resurrection. His resurrection is proof positive. Jesus was raised from the dead. We'll be raised from the dead someday. We'll have a new body like Jesus' body. Paul calls this first fruits, the first fruit of our own resurrection in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. 
How can you be sure, Pastor Tony? How can you be sure that we're going to be resurrected from the dead? If you believe that Jesus' death justified you, why wouldn't you believe that Jesus' life will be the first fruits of your own life, that Jesus' resurrection will be the first fruits of your own resurrection? If Jesus did that in the past, why wouldn't he do that in the future? That's Paul's argument here. And we can have security in that. The church father, Ambrosiaster, he said it this way. This is a believer 1,600 years ago, which is just a marvel that his faith is our faith. He believed what we believe. And Ambrosiaster, he said this, if Christ gave himself up to death at the right time for those who were unbelievers and enemies of God, how much more will he protect us with his help if we believe in him? At one time, we were enemies. Now we're friends. And so Ambrosiaster, he says this. He says, Christ died for us in order to obtain life and glory for us. So if he died for his enemies, just think what he will do for his friends. Welcoming us in to eternity with him. That's what he'll do. And we can have security in that. We can have confidence in that. Even more than that. Look what Paul says in verse 11. Not only can we have security in that, we can boast in this. Remember that word boasting? Look at verse 11 with me. Let's finish this up. More than that, we also rejoice. We rejoice, Christian. That's that word for boast. That's that word, kaukamai. You should have that word down by now, that Greek word. We can, we can boast. Boast in what? Boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our relationship is restored. I hope you're comfortable with this word boasting right now. I hope you don't have this false humility over you like, oh, Pastor Tony, we can't boast. We shouldn't boast. No, the Bible tells you you should boast. But you better boast in the right thing. You better boast in the Lord. Some people think, you know, maybe, maybe we should be more, more modest about our salvation. You know, maybe when we get to heaven someday, we will be saved. Maybe we won't be saved. How can we know for sure? You know, I'm going to call that false humility. Some people say we should be more timid and more modest and more humble about our confidence in salvation. Forget timidity. Forget that. I'm going to boast in this. I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to boast in the salvation that I have in Him. I'm going to be confident about it. Now, you got to boast in the right things now. Come on now. It's not like, oh, Tony, I'm going to boast in myself. I'm so clever. I figured this out. Everybody else is so blind. That's not how we boast. We boast in the Lord. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. I'm going to boast in that. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Let him, Romans 5.11, boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. I'll close with this, and then we can boast with some songs, okay? And just sing to the Lord. I'll close with this. Can we, 
Can we have assurance of salvation? Let's go back to that first question that I asked at the beginning. Can I, right now, Pastor Tony, can I have assurance of salvation? Can I have eternal security as a believer? Like I said, some people, some people might say that you can't. Some people might say, well, you know, that's awfully presumptuous of you, Tony, to think, you know, how can you know for sure? In fact, it's prideful. It's prideful for you to say that, that you are sure you're saved and to boast in the Lord that you are saved. That's probably what our Muslim friends would say. They can never know for sure. They, if they heard me espouse my confidence in salvation, they heard D.L. Moody confidently say he knows he's going to the presence of the Lord as soon as he dies. They might say that's prideful. You can't know for sure. Is it, though? Is it prideful? Is it prideful for us to read Romans 5 and derive from this text assurance of salvation? I don't think so. In fact, I think that's why Paul wrote this. In fact, I think that's why the Holy Spirit recorded this in Scripture for you to read so that you can Feel a confidence in your assurance of salvation. And I think to say otherwise would go against the Scripture. I think to say otherwise would be, I'll just call it false humility. Let me just give you an example of this, a thought experiment. Let's just say for a moment that God came to you right now, and he said, you know what, believer, I'm going to give you $100,000. I'm going to put it right into your bank account. Pastor Ryan, I'm going to give you $100,000. This is what God said to you. He's going to put it on your bank account. Put it in your bank account. You have access to it. Spend it how you want. Do whatever you want with it. And let's say God came back six weeks later. And he said, hey, Ryan, did you, did you spend that money? Christian, did you, did you spend that money yet? And you responded by saying, no, no, I didn't, Lord. I, I was afraid that if I spent that money that maybe my my check would bounce. If I tried to draw it out, maybe it wouldn't be there. How do you think God would feel about that? What do you think God would say about that? I, I'm just going to guess. I bet God would bring you up to him real close. said, listen, if you want to be falsely humble about your own money, your own ability to make and spend money, you can do that. But don't you be falsely humble about something I gave to you. If I gave it to you, it's there. You can count on it. It's there. If I said that your salvation has been purchased at the cross, it's done. It is done. You can be confident in that. When I say that you are saved by grace, it's done. When God says he's done something, it's done. And we, as believers, not only can we be confident in that, not only can we have assurance of salvation, God said it, it's done, we can boast in it. Not in ourselves, not in what we've done, not in us being more clever than other people, but boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Let's bow in a word of prayer, and then we can boast together in song. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your love for us loving us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies. God, we love that. We love that you cared enough about us to die for us, to suffer for us, 
to be persecuted, to be tortured on a cross, to pay for our sin. So that we can escape the future wrath of God to come. And Lord, we thank you that your blood, your death paid for our salvation, past, present, and future. Our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. Lord, I pray for those who are listening right now, wherever they are, around the city of Decatur, around the country. God, that even as they hear this, the Holy Spirit inside of them would grow that confidence, that assurance that they belong to you. And God, if there's somebody who's listening right now who doesn't know you, who has eternal insecurity, not security, God, would you lead them to yourself? Would you show them that they're not saved by their works, they're saved by faith, they're saved by grace, they're saved by Christ, the work that you did for us? I pray for new life, Lord, for somebody today. That they would embrace you as their Savior, that they would be truly born again. As you told us yourself, you must be born again. God, we love you. Receive our worship now as we boast in you.